Thank you. Um, so my research to date is primarily focused on how people um, have been responding politically and ethically to the increased precarity associated with mass personal and household indebtedness. Um, so, you know, I'm basically Jonna's biggest fangirl because she does amazing work on, in that area. And my interests with, um, uh, intersect also with, with Nate and Bill's work in terms of some of the stuff I've done around social, alternative and digital finance and economy, although those terms are all need distinguishing in a way. Um, but why I was really excited to be part of um, this roundtable um, is because I have been trying to think more about the, the problem and question of critique. Um, and particularly, I mean, I'm coming from a, a political economy, international political economy background, where some of the things that, that we're still thinking about seem quite old hat compared to anthropology or, or cultural studies and, and communication studies. But in political economy, there's still a real tendency to see critique as this kind of external thing that you do and you intervene from outside social and economic practices. Um, and there's a real attachment to this form of critique and a, and a whole academic game and set of academic subjectivities, I think, that's built on refusing to engage with a lot of the ambiguities in finance and economy and the complex questions of situation and situatedness that, that Jonna was talking about. Um, so, you know, for me the question is how do we go beyond what um, a, a humanities scholar, um, Rita Felsky, has kind of been calling based on um, Paul Ricoeur's work, the, the hermeneutics of suspicion, that we constantly bring the suspicion of um, the status quo. That, that means that we can't look at things like these really banal forms of collateral knowledge, whether in law you know, or around user experience, and take, take them seriously. Um, and I think, uh, so that would be my, my first kind of point about critique. I'm, I'm going to talk about critique, I'm going to talk about um, agency, and I'm going to talk about the whole low-high finance division that, or divide that Bill mentioned and, and maybe question whether we need to also think more in terms of public and private in relation to that divide. So returning to critique, once we let go of this kind of idea of being external observers of finance and we fully insert ourselves into, um, into the contexts in which our interlocutors are acting in, in these various, you know, very different topics obviously. Um, I think you end up in really uncomfortable places. So my doctoral research actually looked at um, individuals, groups, movements, resisting debt in the afterlives of the financial crisis. And I soon came across some pretty major gender and race problems in these movements. Um, and the question was, how was I going to kind of convey those? Because on the one hand, we're taught to you know, um, really idolize progressive politics. And you have to say that these um, resistance movements and practices are, you know, really progressive in what they're doing in terms of challenging um, narratives and practices of debt, but they also have their problems. Um, I'm going to talk a bit more in specifics later on about, about some of those problems. Um, at the same time, I think when we kind of rethink critique a bit, we also sometimes have to start questioning some of the shibboleths and assumptions about critical finance studies. So in political economy, there's a bit of a cottage industry, that's a bit too demeaning, I don't really mean that, but it's very, um, uh, um, it's quite common to focus on criticising liberal economic imaginaries of things like resilience, of transparency, of liability itself. And actually what my research showed and my, my doctoral research showed that a lot of these groups are working really in really interesting ways to redeem 
and rework these kind of imaginaries from within and to turn them into democratic, a kind of democratic ethos um, and politics. Um, so going to uncomfortable places does require following what people really do and what they say getting inside their thinking, getting that sense of vertigo sometimes when you go, wow, my interlocutors are actually a million miles ahead of me here in their thinking. Sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be um, two points about critique. Letting go of this idea of externality, going to uncomfortable places. And thirdly, um, the idea of a form of redemptive criticism in the place of this, this hermeneutics of suspicion. Um, can we use criticism in a redemptive way, in positive terms, to locate counterpoints, um, while still acknowledging that this whole question of the alternative is really difficult, right? What, when when, when, when so-called alternatives in finance are being co-opted in, in daily practice, and that, that kind of what Bill calls alternation, that constant back and forth is, is, going forth, is, go, is going on to the point where you can't really say what's progressive and what's not. It's all quite difficult. Um, so... The second, moving from critique to agency, and particularly to the agency of um, everyday actors in finance, which is, while obviously really common to focus on that in, in other fields, in political economy and IT in particular, you know, the turn to the everyday or the return to the everyday um, has been quite recent, um, usually built on the, the back of forgetting the work that feminist political economists have done for many, many years um, on the everyday, I, I have to say. Um, and I think... There's a sense in which progressive politics at the moment is really built on displacing agency from, from ordinary people to elites. There's often this emphasis on the need for some kind of external morality to be brought in from outside, rather than looking at, say, the ordinary ethics of, of people engaging with finance in daily life. Um, if I were to kind of veer into politics, the politics of what's happening tomorrow, I think the appeal of Corbyn has partly been to try and displace this way in which progressive politics has become very, very elitist, given his kind of background in, in grassroots politics. So I guess, you know, that, that kind of first point about agency is that we need to start from ordinary agency and um, uh, human voice and experiences. And obviously this sounds kind of really retrograde in a way. I'm talking about humans and agency and I'm not talking about you know, distributed agency, um, for instance, or, you know, or, or the, the way in which digital technologies are, you know, are, are changing forms of agency. Um, and I think that's a really important part of the study of finance. It's maybe just not what I've been working on to date. Um, another key dimension of, of engaging with agency is to treat people in a research situation as what I would call exemplars to think alongside and with, rather than examples of broader financial logics. And again, I don't think um, the anthropology of finance is guilty of doing this, but I think international political economy is really often guilty of treating people as simple examples rather than exemplars that might actually have something to teach us um, uh, about um, daily life and about finance. Um, so I, I have an understanding of kind of the everyday and ordinary that's maybe more than just processes of marketization and hollowing out and financialization. Although obviously when you're researching something like debt, those are a huge part of, part of the picture. Um, and the final point I'd make about agency is that there, I think there are multiple methods with which you can kind of uncover agency and deal with it. Um, and one 
one that's very foreign to what I do, but what that, that really appeals is Sam Naffo's work. And particularly, this is a good point to plug um, John's book, Critical and Cultural mm. Political Economy, or did I get it around the wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever way. <laughs> um, uh, and, and in that book, Sam um, talks about his kind of radical historicization. Oh, yay, you've got it. I didn't even know that. It was so well <laughs> Critical methods in political and cultural economy. Um, and he kind of makes the point that we know that structures matter. I mean, obviously, agency and structure is still a slightly old-fashioned way of thinking about these things, but let's stick with it. We know that structures matter, so maybe we just hold those constant and we say, well, what difference do people make, specific people make in a particular circumstance? So Sam looks at, at the gold standard, mm -hmm. um, although other contributors in that book go back a lot further. Yeah. Robbie Shilliam starts from, you know, yeah. um, slavery, for instance. But if we look at the gold standard, he says, well, it matters whether, you know, um, Manchester bankers um, agreed with the, the gold standard, but Birmingham ones didn't. You know, we need to engage with those kind of, um, uh, those, those kind of different, that, that differentiated agency and that those, those different beliefs of, of groups that we tend to just think of as homogenous, as taking a homogenous position on something. So that's just to give an example that's like very much outside of what I do, but that I find quite convincing. Um, and um, just my final, to my, my final and third um, point, miraculously I seem to be keeping to time, um, <laughs> is another component, a third component of this kind of critical um, approach to finance for me is to maybe start to question this obsession with the high-low divide in finance, the division between high finance and low finance, and maybe actually start to think more in terms of the interface between public and private. Um, so I think critical engagements in, in, with finance, particularly in IPE, have, have become structured around this divide between high and low. Even if it's because people are seeking to bridge them, they still kind of reinstate this division. And actually, I find it more useful to start um, with the divide or the really porous interface now between public and private in finance because I think this allows us to ask much more important political questions. So let me give a couple of examples. Um, uh, Laura Bear's work, who's mm -hmm. an anthropologist um, working on debt, has done some, a, a really great ethnography of, of debt and austerity um, in, in India, but is also working in, on the UK context. You know, makes the point that that's not entirely original, but, but makes it very succinctly and, and convincingly that that new public financing of the type we've seen in the last 10, 20 years, 20 years is creating not just financialized public debt, but also financialized private and personal debt, right? As the public literally has to hoover up the increased capital made available through quantitative easing um, uh, and derivatives and so forth. So if we start to, there we, we're thinking about public and private relation there, then we, we're, we are bridging the high and low kind of divide, I think. But in a way that allows us to ask political questions about who, uh, where is the burden of debt falling and why. Um, and so this, I'll give another example which is from my own research, and this is, will seem like quite a banal example, but, um, and it goes back to this question of gender and race problems um, in progressive politics. Um, I became really interested in how public debt resistance is underpinned by you know, highly unequal um, uh, relations behind the scenes. So if you think about the kind of public front stage work 
and the backstage work, that, and that's Irving Goffman's terms, that goes on in order to um, uh, produce debt resistance. Um, I think it's fair to say that in some of the movements that I looked at, men were the figures behind the figures on, you know, on the kind of public stage, and women were doing the, the backstage work. Um, and why I think that's really interesting is that mirrors the kind of, well, okay, if we think of that kind of backstage work as generating a more than financial form of debt, you know, that debt is not just financial, there are other forms of indebtedness, and that's where I think anthropology is always focused on, on that kind of stuff. So we've got this kind of more than financial indebtedness going on backstage where women are, are bearing the brunt of the social reproduction of these groups. Um, uh, and then at the same time, that's kind of mirroring the more, gen the more uh, obvious um, front stage dynamics of, of financial debt where women you know, are increasingly bearing the brunt um, of debt uh, in the afterlives of crisis. So again, here I find like thinking in terms of public and private really important. Um, and I think that comes out, I mean, a final example I'd give, it, it very much comes out in Bill's work, where he's been looking at public um, payments infrastructures, infrastructures that were you know, public goods that are increasingly being looped off and, and these kind of walled gardens created in which you have to pay a fee to access you know, or to use a particular um, payments infrastructure to send a payment. So I would, yeah, I would say that for me personally, um, I think we need to kind of rethink what we're doing with critique. Um, uh, uh, the idea of kind of external objective critique, um, be prepared to go to these uncomfortable places, criticize, be prepared to critique um, progressive politics and not just look to the usual subjects. Um, uh, you know, engage in a, a commitment to kind of redemptive criticism, um, uh, work with people as exemplars and not just examples, and then I would argue, while I don't want to jettison the high-low division in finance, it is useful to, to combine that, um, I think, with, a, with an engagement of the increasingly porous um, boundary between public and private and finance. <coughs>